asked him three distinct questions because they were reacting to something that Jesus said. As you'll recall, in, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 24, it starts out with Jesus and the disciples. They're walking together, and the disciples then are wanting to impress Jesus. So they said, Jesus, look how beautiful the temple is. And so as they're walking past and they're trying to impress Jesus with their comment, Jesus makes a statement to them that demands them to come back and ask questions later. He says to him, he says, not one stone shall be left upon another. Now imagine that you're walking with Jesus and he tells you that the temple is going to be destroyed. So not, obviously they would be distraught about this response. So later, when they have a chance, Jesus is sitting on the, on the Mount of Olives, and as he's sitting there, they come to him privately and say, Jesus, tell us something. Wait a second. Now, you said, Master, that the temple, tell us when will that be, when the temple will be destroyed. But here's something that they attach to that. They ask two additional questions. They said, and what will be the sign of your return, and what will be the sign of the end of the age? Now we understand through history that what, what, what the first question that they asked regarding the temple, we understand that that was already fulfilled in A.D. 70 when the temple was destroyed along with Jerusalem. So now we understand the rest or the balance of this is to help us to further understand the other two questions and the answer to that. And that is what will be the sign of your return and what will be the sign of the end of the age. However, then in Luke chapter 17 and verse 26 through 27, Jesus is actually responding to the Pharisees because then they ask him a question similar to the question that's asked by his disciples. But they ask a question actually intending to stumble or cause him to stumble or to trip him up because they said, well, Jesus, OK, tell us then when is going to be the kingdom of God? When will the kingdom of God be ushered in? So the second time that Jesus makes the statement, as in the days of Noah, he's actually responding back to the Pharisees. And their question is also related to the coming in and the establishing of the kingdom of God. So when we see this, it helps us to understand why the title, why did we choose this particular title. Why did we choose this? And let's, let's look at that. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 and th through 39, here's what the word of the Lord says. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Understand, when we see this, we know what he's referring to. Those that have put their faith and their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've put that confidence in, in him based upon him saying, I'm going to a place, I'm going to prepare a place, and I will come again to receive you that you can go to the place that I'm going to prepare. So there's always an expectation in every believer's mind that Jesus will return. So of that day, he says, no one knows the day nor the hour. He says, I don't know. The angels don't know. Only my father, he's reserved that for himself. He says, but as, is the, as, as the days of Noah, so shall it be or so will it be. So, were, or were, so also shall it be when the son of man returns. Look at verse 37, 38. Then he goes on to say, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know 
until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 39, so, so, so we, see, we understand there that he, where he says, so also when, it, when I come back, it's going to be just as it was in the days of Noah. In Luke chapter 17, verse 26 and 27, it, it says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them but here's something that we must attach to that verse 30 goes on to say even so will it be in the day when the son of man is revealed Jesus says so he, he's made the second time for a second time he's made the same statement that in the days prior to his return it will be as in the days of Noah. Thus, the title of this series, As in the Days of Noah. One of the things that I would have you to understand about this series is that there is an intent, there's a, there's a purpose for which I believe God has given this series to be taught. And that intent of this series you can find in that same 24th chapter of Matthew, verse 42 and verse 44. Here's what the word of the Lord says in verse 42. He says, oh, Jesus, after having made that declaration that it will be as, it, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be upon my return. He says, so watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. He says, I'm giving you some, some indications of what will be taking place prior to my return. He said, but I'm going to encourage you to be watchful. The next thing he says is in verse 42, he, in verse 44 rather, he says, therefore you also should be ready. So he says, watch and be ready for the Son of Man is coming at a time that you do not expect. So the reality of this, the intent of this series is that I encourage or inspire more watchfulness in you and also invoke more readiness in you. The intent is to inspire and encourage and to build up in you a watchfulness, but also a readiness. Because he says, therefore, because you know these things, because I've said this, therefore, therefore always causes us to go back and then take what has been said and bring it forward. Therefore, be watchful. Therefore, be ready. Now, essentially, the days of Noah can be summed up in four verses found in, the, in Genesis chapter 6. If you would turn to the sixth chapter of Genesis. Because if he says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the Son of Man returns, then we must then first then go back and, and, and do a brief observation of what was taking place, what was happening in the days of Noah, and that will help give us context for the rest of the series, because as we look at the rest of the series, we'll be, uh, we'll be exploring the days of Noah, now, today, one of the things we're going to do, the first thing we're going to do is look at the obvious things that are attached to 
as in the days of Noah. However, in the weeks to come, we're going to also then attach to what we see here in Genesis chapter 6 to what Paul and Peter has to say about the days that are preceding the return of Christ. And, and then draw the parallel between what was taking place in Noah and what will be taking place before the Son of Man returns, Jesus the Christ. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, it reads as follows. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were evil only continually. He says, so, so in the days of Noah, God looked out and he says, man's intentions, they're always, they're evil. And that wickedness was abounding in such a great way, he says, listen, every intent, even the things, even the things that are intended for good, somehow there's ever interwoven something bad in it. I was watching a program in which I, I was, it was, it was a children's program, and it was a G-rated movie, and then in that movie, I discovered that there was interwoven into, the, into that a political agenda. Even in something that's intended to be just for children to enjoy and families to enjoy together, that even in that, there was, there was something trying to be, be thrust forward that was actually against the scriptures. So then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the faults of his heart were continually evil. The next verse we must, must then consider is Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11. Verse 11 it says, the earth also was corrupt before God and that the earth, here it is, was filled with violence as in the days of Noah so shall it be before the son of man returns the earth was filled with violence and it was corrupt not just corrupt in terms of the fallen nature of man but here's the thing because God understands the fallen nature of man so this is not necessarily referring just to that it says it was corrupt before God because understanding, God already fully understands the fallen nature of man at this point because Adam and Eve had already disobeyed, sin had come into the world. God has already understood that, but he says that man was corrupt before God in terms of, in, 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 in its intent and its posture towards God. Because posturing means I set myself with a certain intent. I posture myself or I intend or I position myself to accomplish that which is before me. So he says, man was corrupt before God. The next verse we must consider is verse number, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, verse number 12. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And then in verse 13, it says, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence. Now watch this now. Through them. The them is man 
that the, that the earth is filled with violence because of the evil intent, the purposes that are no longer upright before God, but are now corrupt before God. I want to share something with you because I want to give you a history lesson. When you go back to the very beginning of Genesis, from the very beginning of man's existence on the earth, God had always called man into account to stand before him and to present himself and present himself according to his will. The first murder that ever took place took place because the two brothers, as they came from the worship time, the one realized he disobeyed what God intended or did not follow the path that God had laid out and he offered something unto God that God did not accept. But his brother Abel did and Cain became angry at Abel after they left worship. Because Abel had presented himself to God as God intended. Cain presented himself before God as he wanted. And so now we understand what has happened when God looks and says the earth is corrupt before me because now the earth is now functioning according to their own will. Mankind is functioning according to their own will and no longer looking for instruction on how to conduct and to interact with the great God of all creation. There's an all-out assault on the scriptures. There's a diminishing of its value its authority and its ability to actively and, 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 and spiritually direct the lives of mankind. There are those who spend many years working to try to find something controversial in the scriptures that would diminish its value and its intent. But not just those things, but to diminish its authority in the earth. Because here's what Paul says about the Bible. He says, all scripture have been given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, rebuke, and instruction that the man of God may be fully equipped to be able to give instruction on how God would desire for mankind to exist. So it says the earth is full, filled with violence through them. Not because of them, but through them. When we look at the headlines today, uh, we count the deaths. We count homicides. We don't grieve as communities over death. We've had, we had multiple mass shootings last year, and we simply thought it was a shame, and we moved on. Because violence is in such abundance in the earth that in many cases we become desensitized to the severity and the sanctity of life. The loss of a life becomes simply a statistical number rather than the eternal end of their existence on earth. And they're moving, I should say, the, 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 the end of their existence on earth, and they're moving into their ex eternal existence, yes. whether that be eternally with Christ 
or whether they be eternally separated from him. So the truth is, as we understand, as in the days of Noah, it behooves us because Jesus says it will be as the days of Noah before he returns. And every born again believer is anticipating and looking forward to that return because when he returns, he will then accomplish the final promise he made and that was, I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare that place for you, I will come again to receive you that where I am, there you may be also. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you that. He says, I wouldn't have told you that there was a better place if there wasn't. So then we must then wrestle with how then does this pastor relate to us I would encourage you I would invite you to 2nd Timothy 2nd Timothy chapter number 3 and chapter 4 because essentially Paul sums up the condition of the world today as it relates to the days of Noah in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, here's what the first verse says. And I want you to hear this and I want you to pay close attention to this because this is important. Because remember, the God looks at the earth at Noah's day and he says the earth is filled with violence. And I want you to see this. Here's what Paul says in the very first verse of the third chapter of his second letter to Timothy. Here's what he says. He says, in the, know this, know this. That, the, that in the last days, last days, last days, Genesis are the first days. Genesis, the word Genesis means beginning. In the last days, perilous times will come. Paul says, now Paul then picks up what Jesus says and he then now expounds upon it because he says, in the last days, remember Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 24 is responding to the questions of the disciples saying, what will be the sign of your return and what will be the sign of the end of the age? And now Paul comes along and says, in the last days, perilous times will come. It's important for us, imperative for us, for us to explore this word perilous because we don't walk around daily saying, hey, hey, it's perilous. It's a term that we don't use, so we must then explore it and must further understand it. So here, let's, let's do that. And, and when, when Paul makes this statement, he, in the Greek, he actually uses a word. And here's what that word is. That word actually speaks to the same thing that Jesus declared that would take place because he says, as the days of Noah were, so shall it be. The word perilous here, it means to reduce in strength. There's a great sense of, of fear oftentimes, of, of anxiousness, of, of all that's going on. It also means difficult, dangerous, furious, and fierce times. So now Paul says, in the last days, there will be difficult, dangerous Furious, fierce times. 
sounds like violence filling the earth. Difficult, dangerous, furious. Today in our society, unloading and emptying a clip is defined as self-defense. Self-defense, emptying the whole clip. Furious. Fierce. Individuals who get angry and go and shoot masses of people because of their anger. Fierce. Furious times. Innocent babies, innocent children, innocent mothers, innocent fathers, innocent people who are then gunned down simply because they exist. Furious, dangerous, difficult times. Paul says in the last days, perilous times will come. But then he goes on in verse number two and he expounds further. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves. Selfishness is on a historic high. <coughs> Self-centeredness, I don't care about anyone else. Because when you think about this, I'm angry so everyone must pay. That's simply loving myself. However, Jesus told us that the greatest commandment was to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your, 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 your with everything, with your full existence. And, watch this, and he says, and the second was just like the first, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Bolsters. Self-promoting. It's all about me. You can't get a word in the conversation because I have to talk about me. Yeah, you're pretty important, but you don't, you got to get a load of me. Proud. Too proud to admit because here's the thing. You cannot repent until you first admit you're wrong. Pride stands in the way of repentance because it always hinders a person from acknowledging that they have faltered in some way and yet repentance is necessary for salvation I must first acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a savior and the, and the one thing that stands in the way of that is pride and here's what, what, what John said he says all this in the world is the lust of the eye lust of the flesh and the pride of life blasphemers don't mind speaking ill of, of God. No, don't mind making a mockery of God. Don't mind making assertions that bring a, a, a negative light on the divine. Disobedience to parents. You can't tell me what to do. Unthankful. Unholy. Look at the rest of this. Uh, verse, verse 3. Unloving. Now what? stop because he says, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. But Paul in describing the perilous times, he says, Unloving. 
unforgiving. Not willing to say, hey, listen, I know you're wrong with me, but, but it's okay. Because here's what, what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you don't forgive those who trespass against you, your heavenly father will not forgive you of your trespasses. Slanderous. Will make ill statements of someone that damages their, that damages their reputation and don't think of, think of it twice. Without self-control. How many times have we seen in just the recent months and weeks how there are those who go on social media without any self-control and just brute just and it's social media. It means that the society has access to it. And blurt and state and do and act. It. Oh, oh, wait a second. And in places where people, everyone has a, a phone with a camera and do things unthinkable and then they're on video. Without self-control. Here's one. Brutal. The most popular sport, one of the most popular sports of the day is the most brutal sport of all of history is one of the most brutal sports of all history where it is a part of the game to beat someone to a pole and it sells millions even billions because the brutality that is continuing to rise is expected despisers of good it used to be if you told someone that, that, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. They say, oh, that's great. That's a good person. Yeah, yeah. Not anymore. You got to kind of be undercover. Um, God bless you. You know, you're at the register. You want to you wish someone a blessing because, hey, you know, you just feel good. And you just want to be a blessing. May the Lord bless you. Despisers of good. Look at verse 4. He says, traitors. No sense of loyalty anymore. Just, hey, whatever, that, whatever I feel at the moment. Headstrong. Refuse to be instructed. Refuse to hear. Refuse to allow for instruction to come in. I already have it all figured out in here. And nothing you have to say will aid this. Haughty, puffed up. Lovers of pleasure, here it is, rather than lovers of God. As the worship was going forth and we speak of loving him and, our, and his very breath is in our lungs. We begin to consider his goodness, his love, his compassion. But he says, in the last days, men will love pleasure rather than loving God. I need to do, I need to live my truth. I need to do my thing later for this God stuff, later for this pursuit of what the will of God is for my life. I have my own will. I will do my own will because I want to have, I have one life to live and I'm going to have a good time living it. Lovers of pleasure, pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 then goes on to say, he says, and having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Those that are so ultra-religious that they begin to speak and they can talk and they can quote more scripture than you can, but when it comes to how they live their life, it is not according to the expectations of the scripture. So they put on pious acts, they put on pious demonstrations, they, put on, they make pious statements, and they make pious declarations. However, he says, they deny the power. What is the power of godliness? The power to transform from what I used to be to what God has purposed me to be, because therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am being transformed. And he says this. Says this. He says, My brethren, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says, Presenting yourself to God. As, as one who desires to live their life according to what God has purposed, he says, that's just reasonable. That's not even going beyond. That's not asking a whole lot of you. That's the reasonable service. And yet there are those who want to confess truth but not live truth. Live in the truth. They want to live their truth. And let me say this to you. Truth has no owner. So therefore, you cannot live your truth because truth doesn't belong to you. See, I can't live my truth because truth is truth. It doesn't belong to you because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the. So you can't live your truth because I am truth. You must live by truth. Not my truth. The Apostle Paul, as he speaks, he's, he's further his message because he goes on and says, and from such turn away from. And what he's not saying, he's not saying abandon because Paul also spoke of fulfilling the work of evangelism in the very next chapter. But what he's saying here, when he says from such turn away from, he says when you recognize that people are putting on the show and perpetrating a life, perpetrating a, 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 that they know Jesus and they don't, he says don't you continue to follow their pattern. Don't continue to follow direction. Second Peter chapter 4. Verse 3, just on the other page, let me share this with you. Here's what Paul has to say as he further shares his point regarding the last days, he says. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But here's the key, but according to their own desires... Because they have not, they have itching ears. 
they will heap up for themselves teachers. No, notice now. He says, the time will come. In the last days, they will, men will not endure sound doctrine. Endure, tolerate, deal with, stay under, stay consistent with sound doctrine. Doctrine is systematic teaching from the scripture. He says, but sound, not just something, not just grabbing a Bible and start plugging something in and trying to take scriptures out of context. He says, but men will not endure sound doctrine. Sound, uh, word upon word, line upon line, precept upon precept. He says, men will not endure sound doctrine because they will then seek after their own desires. And he says, and they will heap up for themselves teachers. They'll make sure that the teachers who, who soothe their way of doing things, they'll make sure they have a platform, they'll make sure they have all the resources, they'll make sure they have plenty. Because he says, heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Just tell me a good story that hopefully it has something in it that has some biblical context, but just tell me a good story. Tell me it's going to be all right. Tell me that there's a bright future here. Tell me that my season is coming. Tell me that things are getting better. Tell me that I'm getting ready to rise up. Tell me that I'm going, I, I'm getting ready to expand my horizon. Tell me, just tell me, just tell me, just tell me. He said they will turn from the truth and turn aside to just fables. Turn aside to fables. Because ultimately, people of God, if we don't begin to be intentional, and even if you're here and you've never made the Lord Jesus Lord of your life, please hear this because the return of Christ will be the time in which he will then set up his throne of judgment. And Paul says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of everything done in this life, whether it's good or bad. So the truth is, as this message is going forth, it's intended to spur and to encourage a reality of the watchfulness because ultimately, here's what I've come to understand. If you know something is coming, it is you are behooved to prepare. I watched the news last night and it was, it was almost comical to me because uh, one, one newscaster went and they were getting footage of people scrambling to get prepared for the winter storm that we had coming. Now this is Indiana, come on people of God. Well, this is not Florida where if they get an inch and they shut the schools, the, the municipalities are shut down. No, this is Indiana where we can get a bunch of snow and have to get them to go to work, amen? So, so, so there were those scrambling to get prepared for the storm. So here's the thing. When you see clouds gathering, you say, it's going to rain. When you see the clouds gathering, you say, it's going to rain. I better change my attire. I better prepare to be covered. I better prepare to be clothed with because it's going to rain. 
as in the days of Noah, so shall it also be before the Son of Man returns. As you see, the clouds. But here is the message within the message. In spite of the times of Noah, in spite of what was going on, in spite of all that was happening around him, here's what the word of God had to say later on in, in that same sixth chapter. Here's what it said. It said in verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. See, here we are living in days where it is perilous times, but here's the reality. There are still those who can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And look what verse 9 says, and Noah was a just man, and he walked with God. And that even though we're in the perilous times, that there's still grace that is there for whomever who will embrace the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly as Lord and as Savior. And I would say to you today that you too can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Because the, that same Paul said to the Ephesian church, he said, in the church of Ephesus, he says, but by grace have you been saved through faith. That it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Stand to your feet.